Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9Fin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need-to-know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high yield, leveraged loans, and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Levfin market with US editor Will Cager-Smith. So be sure to check in every second Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be looking at 2023 predictions and trends for the Levfin CLO and restructuring spaces. I'll jump right in as activity is well underway even though European leveraged finance is still very much licking its wounds after a difficult 2022. Last year saw most banks in the space suffer a great deal of pain on their underwritten issuance, and many prospective borrowers watched their cost of funding rise by hundreds of basis points. While the year ended on a high note, with bits of issuance such as add-ons getting done and some larger A&Es such as Altice and Ineos pricing tight, levels also moved a bit higher and CLOs got some deals over the line. Positive inflation figures at the beginning of this year have encouraged many market commentators to suggest a recession may not be as lengthy or as severe as was once expected. But nevertheless, Levfin banks are still skittish and won't likely underwrite at pace until rates show signs of stabilising, as bankers have told Ninefin. But issuers still have needs and those needs are rearing their heads by way of upcoming maturities. A&E's and refinancing situations are expected to dominate the leveraged finance market this year or certainly the first half of this year at least. Our first deal has now launched. Nord Anglia, the school's business, has launched a process to extend and refinance its firstly in euro and dollar TLBs which are due in September 2024. The business is looked upon kindly by market sources, with several saying it won't struggle to get done and suggesting it will be a strong market opener. Also in pre-marketing is Safety Clean, a process which failed prior to the Christmas break but may be coming back to market. Lima Corporate is also in market with a €350 million bond. Ninefin is expecting A&Es from Flac and Finastra or Mysis, a banking software company with more than $3 billion maturing in 2024. So the market looks like it's going to be active, at least in these first few weeks of the year, and buy-siders are licking their chops, hoping to stay in the credits they like and are already in, with a bit of extra OID sprinkled on top through A&E processes. Dollar issuance from European companies will continue to be an important trend in our market, with Nielsen IQ's acquisition of German business GFK from KKR slated to be backed by a dollar-denominated debt package. Perhaps the biggest deal of the quarter and one of the few slated new issues, Advent's acquisition of DSM's engineering materials business, will also have a substantial dollar portion as part of its 2.9 billion euro equivalent debt package. That deal, led by UBS, BNP and Barclays, will likely come this quarter. 
Finally, direct lending will continue to play an important role in the corporate credit market with a club of 10 lenders syndicating finance for April Insurance, a French KKR company. Advent International also closed a 225 million euro unitranche add-on for IRCA with Goldman Sachs, CVC and Carlyle participating just before the Christmas break. Sellsiders are calling for direct lending funds to step up and become a real and deep pool of liquidity rather than just cherry pickers taking the best of the syndicated market assets, while buysiders agree this is indeed an inflection point for direct lenders' place in the market. We'll certainly be following these developments closely here at Ninefin, so please stay tuned for news from us on this front. But certainly, when you're discussing trends for loans, it's difficult to say anything decisive without discussing CLO dynamics. So now we are getting the down low from the amazing securitization icon and editor and journalist, Owen Sanderson. Thanks very much for being with us today, Owen. A pleasure as ever, Kat. Can you give us a general idea of what the CLO supp- uh, demand picture is right now? Um, we, we saw a few CLOs price at the end of last year. Do you think things are healthy? I think there's demand. There's demand from the existing CLOs for new leverage loans. There is demand to issue um, CLOs. Spreads have tightened a little bit um, this week, um, along with the sort of broader excellent market conditions you see that in the investment grade market it's one of the best starts to the year um in in the past decade in investment grade so that that good sentiment is clearly spilling over to the other parts of investment banking the question unfortunately cat is price um there is demand but does this does the arbitrage work for a clo mm, maybe not really i th- think you'll see leverage loans tighten just as fast or, or faster than uh, CLO liabilities, uh, despite the good progress that we've had already. I think we have a deal already marketing in Europe, maybe maybe a few more in pre-marketing. So there will be CLOs, but will they be good CLOs with good arbitrage that make excellent returns for their equity investors? Mm, maybe not. Interesting. Any other trends in the CLO market that you want to point out that we'll be seeing throughout 2023? Um, a big question was what happens post the LDI sell-off in the end of September, October last year. At least that was a big issue for Europe. And will the real money funds that got sort of badly burned in that process show up again? The preliminary things I'm, I'm hearing from the street suggests, yeah, those guys are back. And to an extent, they have their buying boots on. But do they want to chase... Um, CLO paper tighter or do they just see decent value at current levels I don't think they want to chase it tight too much and there's a lot of CLO managers wanting to get stuff done so I think I think spreads stay pretty range bound from here even if that pool of capital comes back CLO market people always would love to see the Japanese banks return um, you know if Norton Chicken shows up and starts throwing around you know a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon, you're talking real money, and that um, that can obviously be quite decisive. But uh, I think they they cross their fingers and hope every every year. Japanese year end is the end of March, uh, so there'll be a lot of people crossing their fingers at that time, saying maybe this year Nochu shows up in size again. So you've been looking into some interesting ways that banks have been dealing with hung LBOs. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. I uh, picked up on one very interesting way that they've been managing the capital exposures. 
there, uh, which is essentially turning to the insurance market. Um, now, most banks do use credit insurance um, kind of habitually, often to deal with the capital exposures associated with the revolving credit facility. Um, as far as I'm aware, they haven't really used it for hung LBOs before. Um, but essentially, this literally go, involves going out to the wholesale insurance market uh, based very, very close to Ninefin's new office uh, in Lloyd's of London and looking for credit insurance on a portfolio of names. Um, there are specialist brokers that handle this kind of uh, situation. Um, so if a bank is going into year-end, uh, the underwriting desk or their um, risk management division is kind of concerned about how much capital um, the LBO book is consuming, then one of the ways they can uh, lay off some of this capital, get some regulatory relief, um, is get insurance contracts that literally uh, wrap the exposures on the hung LBO book. Um, this is a little bit unusual in the sense that it's it's an insurance liability so it's it's literally a policy like you might go in and get to sort of cover your house in case it burns down um unlike the sort of pre-2008 um mono line structures these these are not insurance wrappers that stay with the loans it's just an insurance policy for the bank to cover that that credit risk exposure and it doesn't unfortunately for the banks save them from the mark-to-market losses that they might take when they go to sell those um, on, but it's a way to manage the capital capital allocation for leveraged loans. Um, hopefully banks that have done this trade will have been able to reload their capacity a little bit more and you know when the market improves, those guys could be in a good position to do some underwriting, thanks to the insurance market. Exciting stuff. Do you think this is gonna be a trend we're gonna see throughout 2023? I think the appetite of the insurance market for sub-investment grade risk is kind of a little bit limited, a little bit specialist, but um, generally the first trades are, are the hardest to do. So perhaps if they like the risk return profile, those insurers will look, look to do more and banks um, dealing with uh, too much balance sheet stuck on, on leverage loans, yeah, might find a, a very willing home for some of that risk in the wholesale insurance market. Next up, we have Chris Haffenden, editor, to give us the lowdown on the restructuring market. Thanks for being with us, Chris. Uh, pleasure as always, Kat. Good to see you. So, do you have any predictions on the new year? Yeah, um, a few. We, we, we looked at this uh, in December when we started to talk to you know, a number of distress funds, restructuring advisors uh, and lawyers about their sort of expectations, what they were currently seeing. Um, I suppose there's a number of themes. One is that it's worse out there than you think. You know, the number of um, inbound that they were getting uh, in sort of the back back end of last year started to really uh, increase significantly. There's been quite um, a drop off in performance, they say, for many companies in the fourth quarter. And surprisingly to some, a lot of those are suffering liquidity issues, so therefore they will need money. And I think that's uh, something that um, I think might be a surprise to, um, to the sort of wider listener base for, uh, for this pod. Uh, and that, I think, is going to be interesting because there's a lot more flex under documentation about how you get that new money in, whether that's a way of you know, getting using basket sizes or you know some sort of flexibility under the docs, ways for sponsors to put money in. 
uh, that you might not expect. I think that's going to be, you know, one theme. So, you know, dealing with, um, you know, some liquidity issues that might become a surprise to some is, is one of the key themes. I suppose the other theme is the maturity rule. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk out there that defaults are going to be low because we don't have that much uh, coming up in 23 in terms of maturities and, you know, relatively low numbers in 24. But I think the, the thing that you should be bearing in mind here is that sponsors and companies are actually looking to um, to stretch that out. And that's partly because auditors are, are concerned about the sort of the the rate situation, the lack of um, availability of you know financing, the fact that sort of you know, the markets have been relatively closed, they're now telling companies to look out much further. So they're telling them to look out to at least eighteen to twenty-four months, and we we're we're aware that sponsors are looking at their twenty-five maturities, and in some cases their twenty-six maturities. So that obviously massively increases the number of sort of companies that you know we could actually see uh, where they're, they're actually looking to deal with that maturity wall early. Is there a bond versus loan dynamic to watch out for you've got probably more loans than bonds in 2024 um, you've also got the issue on the loan side of things from the you know, credit metrics and ratings perspective you do have more of those loans in that sort of single b category i mean i think you've probably got more loans in the b3 category than we've seen ever in terms of proportion of the total and if you look at the disparity on that between loans and high yield bonds i mean the, the sort of average rating on the leveraged loan market at the moment is single b and it's a sort of double b minus on high yield and that's the widest disparity we've seen ever and and because of the sort of uncertain funding environment and sort of the sharp increases in funding costs that you know, you're seeing i mean even though the market's reopening you know you are still seeing a lot of decent borrowers having to sort of pay almost double digit all-ins uh, to get get things done you know, that's going to be very difficult for a number of companies to be able to uh, to bear. They just won't be able to generate enough cash flow to sort of service that type of debt. I think there's also the concern that borrowers don't want to lock in for too long. They don't want to lock in these high rates. I mean, you've seen markets getting potential, I think, ahead of themselves. But the view is that they think the rates will start to come down quite sharply in the second half of 23. So why lock in sort of high rates at this level? So that pushes you more towards that sort of liability management sort of A&E space and you know we're aware and you'll probably start to see a lot more come through on the ninth insight in the next few days in terms of number of A&Es that we're actively aware of either being considered or or, or being you know being launched to market that said I think for the more sort of stressed end you have to also be aware that there are, these liability management ex- exercises will have coercive elements. I mean, we did see uh, the Keta deal get pushed back last year, but we think that there will be other deals with maybe some more subtle uh, elements to them, which actually have some sort of coercive aspect, which will look at trying to push those maturities out, but you know, giving that sort of um, game theory tension to sort of try and push um, members into accepting. And I suppose the other thing that we need to look at here is that it's difficult to really say at the moment what the right pricing is for an extension. I mean, you can look at what the, the comparable would be in terms of whether they will seek to refi. But one of the things that we're very keen to talk to the market about is looking at the expectations from a borrower's perspective and also from a, an investor's perspective in terms of how they, they think that, that pricing should work. You know, what are they looking for? You know, how much uh, more margin will, will you need to get that extension? 
will you need a sponsor injection? You know, how important is documents to you? What other sort of elements are, are there in the mix in terms of the conversation? So I think that's going to be really interesting. And another issue, uh, as Owen Sanderson has written before in Excess Spread, is that a lot of the CLOs now are past their reinvestment period. So there's also the question about how many of those um, investors can actually extend and whether you can find ways of actually binding them into that extension. So are you going to have to use, uh, say, for example, schemes or arrangements to try and get those um, get those over a line and drag in those, um, those funds that can't vote? So that's a non-exhaustive list of Ninefin's predictions. For more, please head to ninefin.com. But for now, that's all we have time for this week. And again, if you do want to read more about some of these situations, head to ninefin.com slash insights where you can see some of our content in front of the paywall or you can drop us an email at team at ninefin.com. We're always keen to hear your suggestions for topic ideas, your comments on our discussion and your feedback on the platform. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like and share it. Tune in for the US edition next week. I'll be back the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.